Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. Now, the reason, that word comes from apologia. Always be prepared to, with an apologetic argument, for the reason you believe what you, what you do. And I think it's wise as Christians. We've got to know why we believe this. We've got to know beyond an experience. Who knows that Christianity is one of the fastest declining faiths in the world at present? Christians are falling away from the faith at, at unbelievable speeds, especially in places like America, where the church has been somewhat shady in some respects in their dealings with the, dealings with you know the use of money and, and all this sort of stuff. And people are falling away saying, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with that faith anymore. I don't believe it's true. I've heard of, uh, there's so many Christians online that have turned to Islam. And you think, how can they turn to Islam? It's because when they're a Christian, as Christians, they weren't taught how to bolster their faith until you get to a point where there's nothing that could take you out of the Lord's hands. There's nothing that could shake you from your faith. Because you believe so strongly that Christ is Lord and that God is God, there's nothing that anyone can do. Satan can't tempt you out of the Christian faith no matter how hard he tries because you are a rock-solid Christian. Amen? Isn't that what Christ wants? Isn't that what the 12 disciples were? Did not they lay their life down? Did not all 12 except for John, who did lay his life down, but he actually didn't die in the boiling uh, hot vat of oil. He didn't die. But he, was, he went there. He was in there. He was saying, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm yours if you want me. But if you want to keep me from boiling up right now, do that. And that's what happened. And he was sent to Patmos because it freaked out the emperor. He's looking at him. We just boiled that oil so hot, no man should survive in there. And so he went, and that, that's because God wanted him to write you know, the, the book of Revelation. But didn't they all lay their life down for Christ? Yeah, they had that. And that's because they were so rock solid in their faith, nothing could shake them from the faith. No science teacher in a biology class can shake you from the faith. It shouldn't happen. How many Christians I know, how many kids I've talked to uh, online, well, they're not kids anymore, they're like 22, 23, and I said, when did you, they will say, you know, I, I grew up as a Christian, I said, well, when did you lose your faith? I'm about year 10 in a biology class. So someone presented you with this pathetic theory called evolution and you bought it? You bought that lock, stock and barrel and you said that is greater than this? Man, what, what's, the, what's the pastor of a church meant to do? The pastor is meant to make sure that you guys become unshakable in your faith no matter what is presented. That's what the pastor's meant to do. Meant to strengthen you and encourage you to stay in the cause. Amen. Good. 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 Right. Yep. Right. Good. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear any depressing stories. Just tell me the good stuff. Um... We, we had a, uh, I had a great week. Went out witnessing twice this week and uh, went out with... Am I too loud? Sounds no. like... No. no. I, I, I know what it is. Hold on. The echoing. It's just uh, this noisy uh, piece of equipment here. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. You're wondering what that hum was. It's like in the back of your head, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Yeah. We went out witnessing through the week and uh, 
Anthony and I went out on Wednesday and we hit the uni, Adelaide University. That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. I knew we'd get a good conversation there. So we, um, I, I think I only ended up in, in about an hour talking to four. Something's buzzing there. Plug it back in. Right, hold on. Next level. This right. is good. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, so we ended up, I ended up talking to four people. Four or five, yeah. Four or five, yeah, yeah. And I know from, you know, the conversations I had was, uh, I got one guy brought in from agnosticism to belief in theism to acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for him. And that was awesome. That was awesome. So, um, and it was quite thrilling because he's the uni, Adelaide uni student and he, his mate was there and they both admitted they were agnostic and he said that one guy was born an agnostic and I don't know if that's possible. Can you be born an agnostic? <laughs> I've got no idea. Yeah. You know, out of the womb. I wonder. No, we come out of the womb believing in God, I believe. You know, after that it's, it's what people say to us that affects us and if we, if we take it on board. I remember when I was a little kid and my parents were both atheists but they never pushed on me. Um, as a little child, I naturally believed in God. I remember a guy telling me about God, and I just naturally believed it. And I remember we used to have religious studies. Remember the old religious studies? Who of us are old enough to remember that? Uh, well, in a Catholic school, you would have got them all the time. But in a public school, we didn't get them. And that got removed back in, I think it would have been the 70s. Yeah. But I remember I had one or two years of religious studies. And, uh, and it was... Incredible! I was like um, really blown away by everything the teacher said. I just accepted it, you know, uh, blind faith in a in a sense as a, as a as a boy. But it just made sense that there would be something greater than us in the universe. It actually comforted me, thinking someone's in control of this crazy place, <laughs> you know. So um, uh, anyway, this this guy was an agnostic, and uh, his mate left, which was good because he was. I could see I wasn't going to get him very far, but. The guy that stayed with me, and I said, have you got much time? And he looked at his watch, you're an hour. And I said, oh, well, I've only got 20 minutes. That was a good thing. <laughs> it's the first time that the, the witnesser walks off first. <laughs> um, and so I started talking to him, and, and it, yeah, it was a beautiful experience because, you know, God just had him. It was like he was ripe for the picking. Um, but didn't quite get him to, like, a salvational, you know, level where he was, yes, I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. But... Um, and it was simply a time thing, and I, I wish I had a bit more time, but uh, we're going to hopefully all hear from him again. So please pray for that guy's name was James. Pray for James. And then we went out on Saturday. Put up your hand if you were with me on Saturday. Yep. And, and Daniel, where's Daniel? Oh, there's Daniel. <laughs> all right, so we went out, and did you find it interesting? Yeah? Did you find it challenging? Yeah. I think the, the consensus at the end was the hardest part is getting into a conversation. It's just breaking in and finding a way of getting them to hang around more than, you know, 30 seconds before they say, mate, I'm not interested in walking off. So that's what this sermon's about. And I think after doing it, you guys would be intensely interested in this, in this sermon. And I gave it quite a bit of thought um, over the last day because... Um, in, in the, few, uh, the, the few times that I've been out, I've just got now to a point where I know how to get into a conversation, and I think I had eight conversations yesterday in that hour, and only one guy, um, and I picked the roughest-looking bloke walking down Rundle Street, and I went for him, because I don't know, as soon as they're covered in, in tats and they look pretty rough, I'm, 
I don't know why, I just want to go and talk to those guys, you know, because some of them have got the softest hearts in the world. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Um, and so I, I, I went up, for, went for this guy, and but he was still in his tough mode, you know, still young enough to be tough, you know. He wasn't 40 yet. <laughs> you know, when you get your 40s, like, oh, not as tough as I used to be. But, um, yeah, so he, he sort of, I said, uh, I've got this uh, question, I, I, I won't go too far because I'm going to actually be describing how I break into conversations with him. And uh, I said, I've got a really important question. Do you believe that God exists? And he says, yes, I do. And he started walking. I said, do you think that's an important question? As he's turned the corner, yes, I do. And he's gone. <laughs> so pray for that guy. I didn't get his name, so. The tough guy. Just pray for the tough guy. Now, this is part of Apologetics 101. This is a sermon series that I've had for years, but uh, I sort of uh, on and off it. I don't always go to this sermon series very often, but uh, recently we've been going more and more. But apologetics, it's not about apologising. That's not what apologetics means. You know, you feel like it sometimes, the way people react. Look, sorry to interrupt you, you know, get in the way of your life. But we're we're not um, to apologise. It doesn't mean that. Apologetics is answering the tough questions people have about the Christian faith. That's what it is. It's apologia, it's from the Greek. And I'll, I'll go straight to that. Norman Giesler said, Apologetics is the discipline that deals with a rational defense of the Christian faith. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a reason or defense, in spite of the objections to doing apologetics. Because there's a lot of Christians that um, object to Christians having to find or, 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 or develop reasoned arguments. And I don't know if uh, I've met a lot of people and I say, you know, we talk about apologetic arguments and they say, oh, I don't need that. I just, I just have faith. And you know what? To me, faith is having a reasoned argument. That bolsters the faith, doesn't it? Makes you think, yeah, I'm in the right faith. I'm not deceived. There's thousands of religions out there. I'm not in the wrong faith. I'm in the right faith because I've studied my faith and I know my faith. You know what I'm saying? And one thing I say to these guys, especially the science-minded, is I'm a Christian. I'm a reasoned Christian. I came to Christianity because it made sense, not because I wanted a mystical experience in some religious... Yes, Bill? Rob, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, being Greek, the way I understand it, it, it reads from something logical. Okay. Yep. Year. From something logical. That's good. That's good. That wasn't in the uh, dictionary when I looked it up. But I like it. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> in spite of the objections to doing apologetics, in this sense, from Phideus, Phideism is the doctrine that knowledge depends on faith and revelation. You know when you get a, uh, have a born-again experience, when you first or at least you come into the knowledge of Christ, then it's like this major revelation. God's real. Who's had that? Yeah? If you haven't, make sure you do. Ask God to give you that experience. You've got to have that. Because it really does set you, sets the standard like God is real. I just encountered God. You know? Uh, scientists don't like that. Scientists will think you're just out of your mind to think that. Because there's no evidence for that. And there isn't any evidence for it. We can't try to convince someone that God is real and Jesus is real because we had a personal experience. Right? It's a nice testimony in church among believers, but it's not a great testimony out there in the world among unbelievers. So we don't go out to the world using that argument. You know, I had an experience. Well, what we do, so did I. How does that separate you from a Mormon? Well, that's right, yeah. Because um, Joseph, Joseph Smith had an experience with an angel, I believe a demon, and he created Mormonism. 
So there are important reasons to participate in the work of apologetics, don't you think? Gisela said, the most important reason to do apologetics is that God told us to do it. God told us to do so. Let's turn in your Bibles. Grab your Bibles out. 1 Peter 3.15. And it says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. That's the first thing. Set him apart as Lord. Don't set your hobbies apart as Lord. Don't set your interests apart as Lord. Don't set your job apart as Lord. Don't let any of these other things that we hold up in, in, in nearly in comparison to God have that level of you know, ownership over your life or, or control over your life. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. Now, the reason, that word comes from apologia. That's always be prepared to, and I've got it here, always be prepared with apologetics. That's what it's saying. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you had. Always be prepared to, with an apologetic argument for the reason you believe what you, what you do. And I think it's wise as Christians. We've got to know why we believe this. We've got to know beyond an experience. Who knows that Christianity is one of the fastest declining faiths in the world at present? Christians are falling away from the faith at, at unbelievable speeds, especially in places like America, where the church has been somewhat shady in some respects in their dealings with the, dealings with you know the use of money and, and all this sort of stuff. And people are falling away, saying, "I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with that faith anymore. I don't believe it's true." I've heard of uh, there's so many Christians online that have turned to Islam, and you think, "How can they turn to Islam?" It's because when they're a Christian, as Christians, they weren't taught how to bolster their faith until you get to a point where there's nothing that could take you out of the Lord's hands. There's nothing that could shake you from your faith. Because you believe so strongly that Christ is Lord and that God is God, there's nothing that anyone can do. Satan can't tempt you out of the Christian faith no matter how hard he tries because you are a rock-solid Christian. Amen. Isn't that what Christ wants? Isn't that what the 12 disciples were? Did not they lay their life down? Did not all 12 except for John, who did lay his life down, but he actually didn't die in the boiling uh, hot vat of oil. He didn't die. But he, was, he went there. He was in there. He was saying, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm yours if you want me. But if you want to keep me from boiling up right now, do that. And that's what happened. And he was sent to Patmos because it freaked out the emperor. He's looking at him. We just boiled that oil so hot, no man should survive in there. And so he went, and that, that's because God wanted him to write, you know, the, the book of Revelation. But did they all lay their life down for Christ? Yeah, they had that. And that's because they were so rock solid in their faith, nothing could shake them from the faith. No science teacher in a biology class can shake you from the faith. It shouldn't happen. How many Christians I know, how many kids I've talked to uh, online, well, they're not kids anymore, they're like 22, 23, and I said, when did you, they will say, you know, I, I grew up as a Christian, I said, well, when did you lose your faith? I'm oh, about year 10, in a biology class. So someone presented you with this pathetic theory called evolution, and you bought it? You bought that lock, stock and barrel, and you said that is greater than this? Man. What's the, what's the pastor of a church meant to do? 
the pastor is meant to make sure that you guys become unshakable in your faith, no matter what is presented. That's what the pastor is meant to do, meant to strengthen you and encourage you to stay in the course. Amen. So, one Peter says that we should uh, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason, apologia, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that's a good little addition there. Yep. And one thing I find in street witnessing is no matter how resistant the person is, no matter what the argument, uh, God's just given me a permanent smile. Hmm. And you just sort of yeah, I'm, I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it. But it's, what's great is the smile is there because I know God's given me the answer to this thing that he's already, already trying to deal with. That he's, he's claiming this is why I don't believe. And I've already got the answer sitting there. You get a little bit worried if you don't have the answer. You're sort of, sort of like, okay, what am I going to say now? So that's why we need to, need to know this stuff. Amen? Because it's really, really helpful when you're confronted with uh, difficult situations. Um, now, 2 Timothy. Let's go there. I sort of saw this as a, um, as a scripture that God's telling us to do this. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. And it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. So what he's saying is, in, in the eyes of God the judge... He's one day going to, you're going to be judged. Every single one of us is going to be judged. And in, in view of that, in, in the eyes of that God, who'll judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing, that he's, he's going to appear, and his kingdom is going to come. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Right? That's happening in the Christian church and it's happening out of the Christian church as well. They're gathering together teachers. They're gathering together a lot of people that say what they want them to hear. If you want to be an atheist, there's plenty of guys that you can go and listen to. Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. Go and listen to those guys and you'll get further and deeper in your atheism. And all they're doing is they're getting, they're digging their way to hell, in my opinion. Right? But there's plenty, uh, the, these itching ear people, this is, uh, in the church even, there's itching ear pre uh, listeners that just want to hear what the itching ears want to hear. But I'm not going to go down that road right now. <laughs> For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. So that, you've got to beg to ask, what is sound doctrine? That's why, is doctrine important? Yeah. Yeah. Has there been a teaching? And I used to sit in a church where they said doctrine is not that important as long as you believe in Jesus. Oh, really? Doctrine is incredibly important. Sure, we can have uh, some eschatological differences, but that's not salvation. But if you've got your salvational doctrine all messed up, that's a problem. If you believe that you can sin to your heart's content and just because you say Jesus is Lord that you're going to heaven, you've got a problem. Doctrinally. That's not the truth. So instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. 
do the work of an evangelist, right? That's what we're doing. When we go out in the, in the street, we're talking to people, we are doing the work of an evangelist. So, and, and, and in my opinion, and that's what we need to read there, in my opinion, this is a study that we should engage in passionately. Because really, what it comes down to is the church is there to disciple the nations. The church's job, every single one of your job, every single one of the Christians in the whole world, their job is to disciple the nations. You know, back in Jerusalem and after the stoning of Stephen, the church was scattered into the countryside because a great persecution broke out, scattered them. Everywhere they went, people were getting converted. Everywhere they went, churches were getting formed. And whole communities were getting touched by the power of God as these people went out and could not help but speak in the name of Jesus Christ. If we got scattered, if there was a great persecution on us, we got scattered into the countryside, would we go out preaching in the name of Jesus or, or would, would we hide in a hole? Yeah, we've got to preach. We've got to preach. We've got to tell them. You know, there's only one way to heaven. Through Jesus Christ. There's only one way into the kingdom of God, and that's through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that means that only those that believe that have the truth. That means if you don't preach, we're, in a sense, condemning our neighbours. Because if they're believing in Hinduism, they're not going to heaven. If they're believing in Islam, they're not going to heaven. If they're Mormons, they're not going to heaven. If they're believing all these lies, we're their only hope. We're their only hope. So when I go out into the street, I'm thinking hope is coming to these people. Even though I might only get to speak to four people in an hour. And then I have to leave. That's four more. Imagine if every Christian in Adelaide spoke to four people uh, once a week. I think Adelaide would slowly get converted. <laughs> you know, you, that accumulates, doesn't it? Four a week by every single Christian in Adelaide. You do that for a whole year. The message is getting out there. You know? And we've got to do it. But we've got to do it sensitively. We've got to know that it, it doesn't just, you know, wing it, just go out there and just do your best. You've got to know the, uh, some, uh, get some ammunition in a sense. Positive ammunition. Good stuff. <laughs> You shoot this ammunition and you give life to people. <laughs> Amen? Yes. All right. Let's go. Demolish arguments. 2 Corinthians. I'm sure you all know this scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5. So the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Isn't that funny? I just said talking about weapons. <laughs> On the contrary, they have divine power to what? Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. See, if we know our apologetics well, we can demolish and disintegrate arguments as they're coming at us. We can cut them down so rapidly, so powerfully, and have huge effects on the people that are holding to those arguments. When I saw that agnostic guy, and he, uh, he put forward his arguments for agnosticism and atheism, because I see them as one of the same, even though they like to differentiate between the two, you use the same argument for both. One's ag agnosia, they're ignorant, and the other one just doesn't believe in God. So one's ignorant of God, and the other one doesn't believe in God. So pretty much the same. They both don't believe. They don't, both don't believe, yeah. yeah. So you use the same argument for both. But when I saw that guy put forward his arguments, and then I demolished them, well, it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, you can have knowledge, like, yeah. like um, Matthew was saying, you can have all this knowledge backed up, but you know what? You, 
who's been in the situation where you just go, what was that guy? He said it so beautifully. If I could just say that right now. It's better off, don't try. <laughs> just say, Holy Spirit, give me the perfect words right now so that I can just cut through this garbage that they're putting, putting forth. Because that's really what it is. It's Satan's garbage that's stuck in the minds of men and it needs to be cleaned out. Amen? See ourselves like, you know, garbos. Going around, we're going to take, get the rubbish out. It's backing up in the streets at the moment. The streets are full of garbage in the people's heads, in people's heads everywhere. They're full of garbage. So we demolish strongholds and arguments, amen? The weapon we fight with is not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that self it's, uh, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Philippians 1.7. Just flick over to Philippians. And this is to defend and confirm. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending, again, apologia, defending and confirming the gospel, all of you can share in God's grace with me. So he was defending. That's what Paul was doing continuously, defending the faith. And you, we should contend for the faith. Go to Jude at the back of the Bible. One book before Revelation. Jude 3. So, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. We've got to contend. And contend is to assert something as a position in an argument. We've got to assert a position in an argument. We've got to get out there and contend for the faith and, and put forth reasons why people should believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? Is cancer on the rise? Is heart disease on the rise? Are people dying from all sorts of things out there? Car crashes and you know, shark attacks. That's why I go and see And all sorts of things. But people are dropping like flies out there. And most of them, according to Scripture, don't know Jesus. And we're, in, a, in a sense, we're, we're sitting back saying, okay, well, what could I do? I can't do anything about that. I'll pray for them. And you get in the prayer and you spend about two minutes. Oh, Lord, just save everybody in Adelaide. Thank you. Now, we've got to pray. Don't get me wrong. But I tell you, you know when you pray the most is when you walk out and you put yourself out there. Were you guys praying yesterday? You put out there, weren't you? You went out and you went like, okay, Lord, this is, this is strange. This feels weird. Never done this before. What do I do now? And you go out there and you, you start trying to, to reach people. And... Uh, so it's, it's important that we contend for this. We contend for the faith. It's important that we go out there and try to win souls. We try to get souls to believe that Jesus Christ died for them. You know? There's some parts of the world where the church is very, very, very proactive. Where they're out there all the time and the whole communities are just believing in Jesus. You know, I know there's parts of Africa. I remember Joe Schimmel talked about his African trip that he went on and he was just blown away by the, by the amount of African people that believed in Jesus. Uganda, wasn't it? Uganda, I think, yeah. And just people coming up and, and, and their greeting is a blessing and they're all using the same greeting. It's a blessing of God upon their life. And, uh, you know, we don't go, you know, I, I always say God bless you, but not many people say God bless you or may Christ be with you in power today, you know. We should be saying things like that. 
people look at you strange, but you know, at least we're speaking because it's the word, guys. It's the word. When you use the word, we're using the sword of the spirit, and the spirit goes forth when we use the word of God. And the spirit has a chance to be active in people's life when we speak it forth. Amen. If we keep our, our mouths shut, the spirit can't go forth. Because the spirit goes forth by the through the faith of his people. If the people sit on their hands, nothing happens. Or if we sit on our lips, keep them shut when they should be open. You know what I mean? Then people don't hear the message of salvation. And so we're losing people. We're losing people. And, I, you know, I don't want to get to heaven one day and, and God say, you know, what did you do with your Christian faith? And I say, well, you know, I lived it to the best of my ability. Did you tell people about me? Oh, I'm sure I did. <laughs> Yeah, but did you? Because he's going to want an account. Is he? He's going to want an account. He's going to want to know what you did for him. You know what I'm saying? I'm not putting. I'm not saying this to put pressure. I'm just saying this is the pressure from God. This is what God actually will expect. And I, I as a, as, a, an, as an obedient servant, will say it. Christ is going to want an accounting. He's going to uh, expect an accounting from each and every one of us. If we have the ability, if we have the knowledge, did we use it? He gave you the sword of the Spirit. Did you swing that sword? Did you practice with that sword? Did you go out and use that sword? Did you demolish strongholds? Did you demolish arguments by the power of the Spirit? Or were you too scared to open your mouth because you were scared that you were going to embarrass yourself and people were going to think less of you? One thing I said to you guys on yesterday when we were sitting just before we went out and I said, my way of thinking is, if I go up and make a fool of myself with one person, that person will probably never see me again. And if they do see me again in five years' time, they probably won't equate, oh, that's the guy who embarrassed himself about five years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't, I don't, after that, I just didn't care, you know, if I make a fool of myself. But you don't. You know, Christ sees to that. So, it's, is this important, guys? I think it's important. I think it's where all great revivals begin, when the people of God start stepping up to the plate and start saying, you know, I'm going to take this on myself. I'm going to do my part. And if we all do our part as a body, wow, power can come out of the church. Power can be seen in the church and outside the church as well. <laughs> to reach lost humanity, we need to be equipped. And this is what Apologetics 101 is for, is equipping you. It's equipping you with tools that you can go out there and, and use. How to break into a conversation. This sort of, I just wrote these, sort of jotted down these notes. And I never... Please understand, this. don't memorise this word for word. If you have to, maybe try it for a while. But I, I, I have a... I sort of say a fragment of this every time. Sometimes I elaborate further or sometimes I cut to the chase a bit quicker if they can see they're ready and open. So the first thing I say is hi. Use that. It's a good, good intro. <laughs> or hello. <laughs> Variations. <laughs> how you going? If you're a real lossy guy, how you going, mate? I was hoping you could help me with a sociological experiment that I'm doing. A sociological experiment. And it really is. To me, it's a sociological experiment. I'm going out there. I'm, I'm interested. I want to find out where people are at. You know, This culture we're living in, I even said it to a few people, you know, this culture is going down the tubes quickly. We're pretty corrupt. So I've come out with some questions. I want to find out where everybody is, where they stand socially or morally, you know, culturally today. And one thing I've found is 80 to 85% of people so far, it's not a, 
you know, I haven't done a thousand people yet, so it's hard to get a really good statistic, but so far, 80 to 85% of people I talk to are atheist agnostic. And there was a, a few that were Christian, and all of those ones don't go to church. Um, and there was a, a small portion that were of other religions. So that's so far in, in from my estimation. But that's a good way. Just say you're doing an experiment. You're going around, you just want to find out where people are at, and I'm, I'm sort of taking rough notes um, of where people are at. But you, if they say, where's your notebook, say, look, I didn't um, bother to do it because I pretty well know what I've got to ask, and then I sort of, uh, I just remember it and write it down at the end or something, which is sort of what I sort of do. I sort of piece it all together afterwards. I've taken to the streets to get a sense of where people are at culturally. Do you know this works every time for me, or just about every time? Yesterday I talked to eight people, only one rejected me, and he sort of was fairly polite about it. That's that big tough guy that I told you to pray for. All right, but it, it works. I've taken to the streets to get a sense of where people are at culturally. I was hoping you could answer for me the most important question that any man or woman will ever have to answer in their life. Did you catch that? The most important question any man or woman will ever have to answer in their life. So you try to really build up this question so that they're going, okay, what is this question? The most important question ever. And so they nearly, you get them wanting to find out because they want to answer the question for you. Does God exist? And that's a great one because straight away you find out if they believe in God or they don't. And then when they start talking, they, they you know, uh, some guys just take off. Off they go, like five minutes before you get a, a, a second sentence. And that's good. You want to you wanna sort of get them talking. So that's, that's the essence of that. So if you want to take a photo of that, any of you guys who are going to um, come out with me again soon, from my perspective, it's foolproof. In getting, because the key is, is to get them in the conversation, isn't it? It's no good if we're going out there and we're talking, asking them, you know, can I, could I ask you a question? And say, Sorry, mate, not interested. Walk past. Um, look, uh, does God exist? Uh, no, not interested. They just walk past. You don't want to be in that situation. You've got to sort of come up and say, hey, um, I've, I've, I'm doing a sociological experiment at the moment. I'm, I'm walking around town. I'm, I'm trying to find out where people are at culturally. Um, and I've got a really important question. And they, oh, okay, yeah, what question is that? You know, and away you go. Nine out of ten times I've found it works. So keep that as the essence of your break-in approach and you'll, get, you'll have some incredible times. Now what I found out there is people are either pre-God or post-God. What I mean is they either don't believe in God or they do believe in God or a God or some kind of spiritual thing. So you have two different directions to go with, with a pre-God and a post-God. You don't use post-God arguments with a person that doesn't believe in God. As Daniel and I were talking to a guy, maybe he was pre-God, and, and Daniel came in and said something that you would say to a post-God person. And that's where afterwards I said, I think you're probably better off not using that argument with a pre-God. First, if, you, if they don't believe in God, you can't sort of talk about things that you requires belief in God. All right? So I'll talk about that now, so I think it's going to be helpful for us. So pre-God, questions should help them to believe in God. That's the essence. All the questions should just God, not Jesus. Don't bring Jesus in to someone who's pre-God because they don't believe, a lot of them don't even believe Jesus even existed. They believe it's just a fairy tale made up. That's how far some people have gone. So it's just go for, go for getting them to believe in God. That's the first step. 
But if they're post-God, you should be to get them to see Christ as Lord and their need to repent. So you've got to get them from whatever they believe to Christ to see Christ as the only man who laid his life down for the sins of men. Right? Buddha didn't lay his life down. Did Muhammad? Muhammad on his deathbed didn't even know if he was saved. Because his whole system was works-based. Did I do enough good works to balance, you know, at the bad works? So a Muslim, one of the good arguments from a Muslim is, you know, have you done enough good works? Because, you know, oh, mate, you're going to stand before a holy God. I don't know if you've done enough good works. <laughs> and they'll, they'll be like, uh, you know, um, I don't know either. Well, how do you know if you've done enough good works in that system? Because you're not going to be found wanting because just say they did something really, really bad when they were young, like committed rape or something. How many good works do you have to do to cancel that bad work out? You know, and I used this with one guy. I said, I said to him, uh, okay, just let's not even talk about God. Let's just talk about human court. In a human court, someone committed murder 20 years ago. And he was a Muslim. And he did 20 years of good things afterwards. Did charity work and he went and helped the old people all the time. He did good thing after good thing. Nothing but good things. Day after day after day after day. And he was highly respected in his community. He was such a good person. Then they find out he was a murderer. In a human court, do you think he could bribe the judge by saying, oh, hang on, I did 20 years of good things. I made up for that bad thing. <coughs> a good judge... A just judge would throw that man in the jail mm. for life. Mm. Maybe the death sentence. Mm. You know, so works, it's not works, it's not about works, is it? That's why we need a saviour. And so using those sort of arguments is good as well because they get the perspective. Okay, even a human would judge me condemned. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Don't even have to have God do it. A human would condemn you. So my most used pre-God arguments, when we get into a pre-God, I just keep them pretty simple because you don't have much time usually, so you just perfect a few. One is cause and effect. And this is a great one, and you, I love it with scientists. So cause and effect. Does everything have a cause? Does everything in life have a cause? And they'll say, of course, everything has a cause. You know, there's a cause and effect. Is it foolish to think that nothing caused the universe? This is, I'm, I'm, I've abbreviated it. You can elaborate on this. Is it foolish to think that nothing created the entire universe? Because what they say is everything has a cause except the beginning. There's no cause. And, and that's, to me, that's foolish because they, uh, the whole essence of the cause and effect argument is there has to be a God. Because... The universe can't pop into existence on its own without anything. And intelligence can't pop into existence on its own without you know, anything creating intelligence. All this that we have and we take for granted, as in unbelievers do, has to have an initial cause. So if you go back to the very beginning, that has to be God. So that's what your argument is. And you can sort of keep on redirecting them all the way back. No, 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 you've just given yourself energy to begin with. Before energy, back... Nothing, nothing. What? Who, who, was the, who gave that first cause? Who, who gave life? Now, all oh, the Big Bang. Or what, so what caused all the ingredients of the Big Bang to be there if there was nothing? Because they kind of try to redefine nothing, don't they? They try to say nothing has something in it. That's ridiculous. 
I think, sometimes I think, are you mad? Do you believe that? You actually believe there's something in nothing? It's like, hang on, you better go to Webster and have a talk to Webster Dictionary and get that redefined. You know, nothing actually is something now because we don't want to accept God. That's really what it is. And when they start to define the nothing that gave life to everything, guess what they get? God. Their definition is God. Oh, no, well, I don't believe in intelligence. All right, you don't believe in intelligence, but you believe in energy and life force and and power to make an explosion that makes life instead of death and all these sorts of things. So what's the... What do you call that? I call that God, that you're you're, you're demoting God in some qualities that you don't want to accept. Does that make sense? So God is always going to be the first cause. He has to be. Now, the other one I use is irreducibly complex, but I go from the point of view of saying your body has 13 bodily systems... Which system evolved first? Does this make sense to everyone? Mm-hmm. Your body has 13 systems, and they all function in unison. They all function together. They all need each other. You take one system away, and I said this to a scientist while I was at the university, and he was looking at me, and I said, okay, which one evolved first? Which one climbed out of the primordial soup first? The skeletal system? Just out onto the, onto the beach? Or did the muscular system just... <laughs> Up there, it's got no tendons to tie it back to the bone, so it's got no strength in it. And no blood in it, yeah, because we haven't got a circulatory system and we don't have a respiratory system. So, what you've got is death, 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 and then they think somehow, miraculously, by some you know, miracle of nature, they all just popped in together. But you know, the only reference we have to where all the systems came together as one is in the book of Genesis. All man's systems were in Adam. He, he fashioned them out of the soil. And we know that. And they'll say this to, to them as well when they say, oh, that's strange, fashion them out of the soil. I said, well, you put a dead body in, a, in the ground, what happens to it? Becomes soil. Okay. So from, from soil we come and to soil we go. And so you've got this uh, body... Adam was laying on the ground and he was all his systems were intact. Everything was there, ready to go. It's like all you needed was to suppress the ignition and away it go. But what did Jesus, oh, well, I believe Jesus did it, came up, breathed in his mouth. Breath of life, boom. And he stood on his feet. A man, complete functioning perfection. Right, that's the only account we have of where it's possible for all 13 systems to be together as one. Amen. But they'll try to tell you we evolved there from a single celled amoeba. Just slowly we became this and we became that. And there's a, a lot of problems with that. Firstly, is a single celled amoeba under sci- um, scientific uh, studies over the last hundred years has never evolved into anything except the single celled amoeba. It'll divide, it's miraculous the way it just divides and becomes two of the same, but it's never become anything more. And then they say, oh, yeah, well, mutation. Yeah, mutation means that it's a degrading of information. The information lessens or it gets distorted. You know, you get a fly with four wings instead of two. The other two wings are useless. They're just there, just useless appendages because it's deformed. And the fly won't have a very long lifespan. They're already short. You know? So um, mutations is not the answer either. So when you sort of can have these as backup arguments all the time, when, you, when you're talking to people... For a start, they, they like it. Especially scientists, they like it. 
And one thing I always do is when I'm discussing it with them, I, I say to them, like, you know, you're enjoying this, aren't you? And they go, yeah, actually, I am. I said, see, you like talking about this stuff. That's why I stopped you. You know? Because people like it. People want to talk about it. They want to test you out. And, and we, we should want to talk to, to people about it too, shouldn't we? So that's my, my two main arguments that I sort of tend to find I use uh, in, 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 a, in the amount of time I have. Does God exist? No, he doesn't. Okay, well, cause and effect then. What created the first cause or first effect? What, what created everything? Oh, nothing created everything. And then you can go on from there. All right? I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute anyway. My most used post-God arguments, these are just a few, Christ risen. Uh, Matthew did a great sermon uh, on the resurrection, and in that sermon he put forth quite a few arguments um, for uh, evidence for Christ risen. And one of them is that, um, or there's two good ones, one is that, that he was seen by 500 of the disciples at one time, a testimony that would last five days in court if everyone testified for 15 minutes, it would go round the clock for 24 hours for five days, while 500 people testified to have seen Jesus Christ alive. And with that many witnesses, at the end of that time, they would say, okay, I get it, he's alive. End of story. The other one is, um, it just escaped me now. Transformation of Paul and James? No? Yeah, oh, well, the other that one would be, one. yeah, that's one. But the <laughs> other one would be that um, he, that every single disciple who believed they saw Jesus alive was prepared to die for that testimony. You know, you can die for, if you don't know the truth, you could perhaps die for that lie that you were convinced from someone else actually happened. But if you were eyewitnesses, you would not be prepared to lay your life down for someone who you know in your heart of hearts you did not see, but you've been claiming to see for some financial benefit. Which, by the way, would be a good incentive not to die. I'm getting no financial benefit out of this, so here I am, I'm about to be, you know, killed for the faith. I think I'll just give it up. And write a book about how I lied about seeing Christ, who never was there. But they were prepared to die for it. So they're two good arguments. If God exists, if they're Christian and you, you, they say, we haven't been to church for a while, I haven't been really following the faith, I'm living my own life, I'm enjoying myself. Well, you say, if God exists, then we are accountable to him. Is that right? We're accountable to our holy God. Uh, the moral demands. We must repent. If they haven't repented, if they're not living in a life of repentance before God, they've got to repent. And they've got to put God first. Amen? Yes. Have we got to put God first? So you've got to explain. You really need to put God first. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he was, he's got to be first in your life. Amen? Amen. Most are atheist agnostics. And I've found 80% of people I talk to are atheists. The line of reasoning I use is the same for both. And the following is the line of approach I use to get them to see that there must be a God. So I immediately present them with the argument for cause and effect. And this is what I want to go a little bit further in. We, when an atheist says we don't know what caused the beginning of the universe, what they are saying is that they agree that it is illogical to think that something came out of nothing. That's all they're agreeing to. When they say we, we don't know what happened, what they're saying is it's illogical that nothing could create everything or could cause everything. So because they think that and they're not going to acknowledge God, they'll just say, nothing, oh, we don't know. 
They think that's being humble. And then they'll say, because we say, well, we know. And then they say, well, look at how prideful you Christians are. You think you know. Well, you don't know. And we know our Bible tells us that God created everything. And it makes perfect sense. And then if they say, and why is that? Well, well you tell me what sort of a, a existence would have to be to make these things happen that we now take for granted all around us. And they would start describing the things that would have to occur. And when they're describing the things that have to occur, what do you got a description of? God. And I did this with um, my student, who's an atheist, and we've had loads and loads of debates. And he started describing the kind of uh, existence or the kind of thing or whatever he wanted to call it that would make the beginning of the universe. And as he described it, I said, yep, that's God. That's, God. that's what I believe in God. Yes, but this God doesn't have intelligence, as I said before. I said, well, you've just... You've made this an unthinking, unreasoning power that can, has the ability to give thinking, reasoning creatures intelligence. Do you know what I mean? So you've, he's got no intelligence, but we have all the intelligence. But he's got the power to create us. And he says he's not a he. Whatever. <laughs> it's just... It's ridiculous. And if you get them down that road and you get you keep them there for long enough because they'll straight away the escape clause is they'll sort of bring up something else. Well, what about you Christians and the Crusaders? No, no, no. Let's not go there. Let's go back to the first cause again. Let's get back to the beginning. Because that's where it started. And that's where, um, that's where we've got to sort of rest ourselves, especially in, in the scientific community. Because they don't have an answer. Who's had an argument with with a, a scientist, and you find they don't have an answer. Who's, who's put your hand up? And what do they say? We don't know. I love that. We don't know. So they know that there must be a cause behind the universe, but they believe it to be intellectual suicide to admit that the only logical explanation for everything coming into existence out of nothing is God. That's the only reason they're not admitting it is it's intellectual suicide in their, among their peers. You imagine you're an up-and-coming chemist and you're an atheist and you get along with everyone just fine because you're among predominantly atheist you know, uh, people in your course and, your, your, and, your, and, and among your peers in, in the workplace and suddenly you become a believer in God. That wouldn't go down too well. That wouldn't go down too well. That's a huge sacrifice. So in a sense, you've got to understand that. We've got to understand that. That these people have to give up more than just, you know, evolution. They could be giving up a successful career. And, you know, to these kinds of people, does that mean everything? Yeah, that's everything. Even to us, we like to have a successful career, but it doesn't mean everything, but it is important. But to them who don't care for God, that would be giving up everything. That would be giving up Friendship groups. That could even get in the way of your relationship when you tell your wife, I don't believe this garbage anymore, I believe in God. And what? Oh no. You know, and the wife is looking at him, oh, you can't believe in God. You can't. It's going to destroy you. So that's the conundrum, isn't it? It's a hard position. That's why I admire guys like William Lane Craig and Ravi Zacharias and John Lennox. They go around from university to university and they preach it. And these guys are so smart. God's made them so gifted, so intelligent, that people are scared to debate them. 
in the scientific community. They're scared to go near them because it's like, whoa. It's like, you know, you're a bit of a boxer and you have to take on Mike Tyson. It's like, oh, I'm not ready for Mike. I'll just debate my, you know, my neighbour or something. But we've got to become strong in this, don't we? Amen. And you know what I've found, and, and Matthew will, will agree with me, um, Matthew just reads apologetic books all the time. That's his main focus. That's his love. You know, whenever we met at Kurong, I just knew exactly where he'd be standing. He always <laughs> the back right corner. If you want to find, if you meet Matthew at Kurong, he's not at the coffee shop. He's at the back right corner. I'll be in the coffee shop. Yes. <laughs> but uh, always reading apologetic books. Probably one a month, you Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, listening to the podcast yeah. too is probably. I've read some of the books he's reading. I'm like, oh man, this just my brain hurts. <laughs> yeah, he's in the real heavy stuff now. Yeah, still so, hurts. But still hurts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good for your brain, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but you know what? I find that apologetic books are some of the best Christian books I've ever read. Um, there are some absolutely stunning books, and the the, the evidence behind our faith, guys. No kidding. You get this into your heart, get it into your mind, you will never be shaken. Never be shaken. You're going to get fired up to be a Christian like never before and you're going to be fueled with all the necessary ingredients to just reach people for Jesus and tell them uh, and convince them in such an incredible way, that in a way that they'll be like astounded. Like, I've never heard a guy talk about Christ like this or about God and about this existence of God. and I've never heard these arguments before, but they make so much sense. And you know what? When he talked about evolution and he showed the holes in the theory, he made it so clear and obvious. Do you think a biology teacher is going to make the holes in evolution clear and obvious? You know, maybe in a Christian school, a Christian biology teacher. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to. No, they're actually trying to get uh, Christian schools, you know, like evangelical Christian schools, not to teach uh, creationism. Which is, uh, you know, that's bad. That shows that the devil's really getting a foothold in this world. So you know what? The, the devil's after the Christian school kids now. He's trying to get the Christian school kids to get taught about evolution. And so conflicting with everything they're getting taught elsewhere. And they're going to, you know, this is what kids think like. This professor, and this, this guy, he knows a lot. He's the smartest man in the world. Who's, that? Who's the guy in the wheelchair, the smartest man in the world? Stephen Hawkins, and Stephen Hawkins says there's no God. He must be right. He's smart. You know, and all these other, uh, you know, the bulk of scientists are atheists. And I, I'll tell you, even if they have the slightest inclination that God really does exist, to give up, you know, to give up their belief and turn to God would be intellectual suicide. But I'm, I'm really proud of one guy, and I don't know where he whether he got to Christ before he died. Uh, who's heard of Anthony Flew? Anthony Flew? Yeah. Great. Um, Anthony Flew was a, an atheist. Who knows Richard Dawkins? You all should have heard of Richard Dawkins. At least a few of you who have watched videos about this sort of stuff much, you'll see Richard Dawkins come along. And uh, he was the Richard Dawkins of the 70s. And Anthony Flew was... Uh, one of the last debates he did, it was with William Lane Craig. And I personally think that that was the end for him as, as far as his atheism was concerned. You must watch, just look up the debate between uh, uh, Anthony Flew and William Lane Craig. And what you're going to see is a, a guy that just goes to jelly. And this is literally him when he comes up, comes up to do his remark against something that William Lane Craig said. He starts going, you've seen it? 
Do you remember seeing that? Have you got to see it? I've read about it. Yeah, yeah. And he starts going literally this. Uh, 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 oh, well. This could only be so if uh, 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 God believes it. And therefore, uh, this is ev evidence for the belief in God. I think on, uh, it, it is not at all. You can only take it that uh, this is, um, well, um, uh, that uh, the, these things are approved by God if you know that they were approved by God. And it was like, you know, he's like he's punch drunk and the guy can't speak anymore. But that's seriously, that's what he was doing. Uh, 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 uh. And he did it over and over again. And then he came up for his next remark and he did a series of them. And then in the next one, it just got longer and longer and longer. These, you've got to watch it just for the humorous side of it. <laughs> now, what was the beautiful thing about it was not long after that, he writes a book where, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, it was God does, God does not exist and then the does not is crossed out, or the not is crossed out and it's God does exist. I think it's that title. So God does not, with the red line through it, exist. But uh, please do yourself a favour and watch that. It's, it's fantastic. And you see uh, William Lane Craig in all his glory as well when he's uh, just coming in like the heavyweight champion of the world, you know, smashing this guy around. Um, you know, have you ever seen those fights when the world champions take on the, the guys that are at the end of their runners? They, they sort of work their way to the top and they have to knock out a few old champions. Have you ever seen those really cruel fights? And you've got this young guy coming in in his 20s and you've got a 35-year-old has-been. And that's what it was like. It was like watching one of those fights. Yeah. So no one greater than man. To say that there is no God is basically saying, I believe that there are all kinds of existences in the universe, but no one that is in charge. No one that is in charge. No kingpin, no big boss. That's really what they're saying. If there is no God, then you believe in all the existences in the world and you probably believe that there's existences on other planets, but not one of them is in charge. Not one of them is that great to have caused it all. That's pride. They're saying that there's no way that there is an existence out there that is greater than them. That there's no, there can't possibly be something greater than me. You know, Stephen Hawking's, there couldn't be anyone greater than my mind. I've got the greatest mind in the universe. Couldn't be God. My mind is God. You know, in Hollywood at the moment, these celebrities are so thinking of themselves at such a level, they actually think they are gods. Because you think about it, everywhere they go, people bow down to them like gods. The most corrupt thing you could want in this life is to become a rock star or become a... Um, a movie star. If you want to really mess your life up in a big, big, giant way, do that. And you'll mess it up for good. Aim for honest, humble things. Things that are going to benefit mankind. Don't aim for that. Because these guys get corrupted at a level. If you, there's some videos I've watched of people who have come out of those industries and say what they get up to in private. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. You don't want to be compromised at that level for fame. And it's fleeting. Who knows it's fleeting? You know? Who, who remembers, you know, the, the nine in the first um, Australian Idol? The other nine people that performed in the Australian Idol. 
Because I know the number one guy was that guy who's now a judge on mm. the guy voice. Sebastian. Guy Sebastian. The Christian. The, the Christian. Oh, See what happened to him? Yeah. See, he didn't know his apologetics. Exactly. He would not be confessing what he believes right now. I, I read an article. He said all religions are good. There's truth to be found in Buddhism. There's truth to be found in Islam. You know, I embrace them all. And he believes all this stuff. But he doesn't believe in Jesus as the only way. So he's lost his salvation. What for? Fame. You know, if he, if he wanted a prolonged success, that was the only way he could get it. He could only be the guy Sebastian today. Because if he stayed a Christian, he would have been back at Paradise Church now. He would be. But it, because he gave up his faith, because he recanted for fame, because Satan came and said, look, I'll give you all this. Just bow down and follow me. Man, you can give up your everything, you know. You can give up everything for that. Atheism is the pinnacle of pride and presumption. So no, this don't probably say it to him. At first, that's not an open remark. Atheism is the pinnacle of pride, mate. Come back. Yeah, don't say that. Just save that one for knowing this. Uh, and presumption. Believing that they are the greatest creatures there is in the universe. That's essentially it. There couldn't possibly be a God. There couldn't possibly be a God. Are you sure of that? I love saying that. Are you sure? Oh, no, I'm pretty 100% sure. I said, really? So that means you know 100% of everything there is to know. Oh. You know, who's heard this argument? Hmm. You've all heard it. But you've got to have it on the tip of your tongue. It's got to be on the tip of your tongue. So you've got to read it all the time and keep it in your head. And we've got to preach on it and keep people filled with this stuff. And, you know, uh, you have to know 100% of everything to know that God doesn't exist with certainty. Which means you'd have to be God. Which they think they are. But they're not gods. They don't know 100% of everything. And then you say, well, Einstein didn't think he knew much about anything. Einstein's one of the smartest men ever, and he, he didn't think he really knew much. I think he estimated he only used a small portion of his brain, you know, so you're not even using 100% of your brain. You don't even know how to. So you're that great, you know how to keep yourself from dying. So you could live for 200 years just on your own will to live because you have that much control of yourself. No. So you're not God then. You know, you, these arguments, they just come up and they can be so beneficial to helping them to see that. Life is futile. They are futile. Amen. And, uh, and there has to be a God. And in that 100% or that 95% of what they don't know, does God exist? And then you take them back to the cause and effect. He has to. There can only be, there has to be a God. And I remember one guy um, that I talked to. He was in, um, I was in Guja Street. We're down near the Lions there. You know, when I was, I think I was with you that day, Anthony. And this was the guy that, yeah, he came out like Mike Tyson, that guy. And he buffed sort of far. And he, he sort of uh, came out hard. And I said, uh, excuse me, mate, um, do you mind if I ask you a question? I'm doing a bit of a sociological experiment. Do you mind if I ask you a question? He says, oh, what is it, mate? And I said, um, does God exist? Or you tell me. And I'm like, oh, here we go. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> you know? I said, but I'm asking you the question. No, I'm asking you the question now. If it's good for you, that's fine for you. And I thought, well, this is going to be hard. So anyway, because I had no experience with a guy that was putting it all back on me. And so one thing led to another, and I ended up having about a 10 to 15 minute conversation with the guy. And at the end, I, every question I asked, he answered because he was fired up and was into it. 
But when I took him back to the first cause and I explained it and it was like, it was a foolproof, convincing argument, you couldn't possibly reject it. He just goes, nah, mate, you just believe what you want, right? <laughs> and I went, okay, no worries. God bless you. I'll be praying for you. Yeah, no worries, buddy. You know, Aussies, <laughs> that way about them, haven't they? But, um, so, yeah, you can have the best arguments in the world, but if they're determined to reject it, don't feel bad or feel bad for them. You can pray for them. Go away, pray. Lord, please open their eyes. But I always think this. That guy is going to lay on his bed and hopefully God, by the Holy Spirit, is going to come up and start to move on his consciousness and help him to see these things. Who's heard of the term provenient grace? Provenient grace. Very important term for us to understand because provenient grace is what happens in a person's life before they receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. So provenient grace in my life before I turned 21 was I was seeking um, sort of like supernatural experiences. I believed it would be a supernatural realm, um, but I didn't know what to believe. So there was a whole series of events that occurred and I started to, I joined, I don't know if anyone knows, of a Theosophical Society. Yeah, Theosophy was, uh, Madame Blavatsky started the Theosophical Society and it's basically a, 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 a library that accepts every religious text except the Bible. <laughs> and basically everything is good and just got to apply the good stuff into your life and, and you know, it's like mixing between, you know, poison and, and, you know, good food sort of thing. It's like, you know, you can't exist in that sort of, you go a bit crazy. So the, in all that study and desire, I wanted to find the truth. And um, it was really interesting because there was a book, and uh, quite a few of you know Luch. Remember Luch? Yeah. Um, Luch and I were both part of this Theosophical Society thing. We were New Age, into the New Age. And uh, Luch went to this man who used to be part of the Theosophical Society. He had his own library, and, and Luch used to go in there and pull books off the shelf, and he would say, I'll oh, go home and read that, and, you know. And, and so this one particular day, he was there and he looked down and he saw this a blue book with no title on it. There was no nothing written on the outside of the book. And he said, what's that? And he goes, oh, look, don't worry about that book. It's driven people insane. <laughs> and Luch goes, really? Can I borrow it? You've got to read a book that's driven people insane. <laughs> anyway, so he borrowed that book. It's like when I heard that the Book of the Law and how it's influenced so many rock musicians. The Book of the Law is written by Alistair Crowley. I had to read it, downloaded the PDF, had it read, and I'm like, oh man, really? This is what they read? This is what influences these guys? This is garbage, this is sick, this is sick, and then you find out who's into it, and you know, most of the pop and rock artists are into it, and even all the, um, a lot of the Hollywood stars are into it. It's bad. Anyway, so Luch brings this book, and he reads it, and then he comes to me, Rob, you've got to read this book. And I'm like, you know, why? And he says, because it'll drive you insane. <laughs> so I started reading the book. Probably did drive me insane, you know. But um, now what happened was I was reading the book and it, it sort of aligned with everything I was sort of, all the new age teaching and everything that I believed. And then right on the last page, and I've said this, a few of you must know this testimony. Right on the last page, it's said to get down into the lotus position. So I got down into the lotus position. And it said, say this uh, meditation, and so I'm saying the meditation, and then right at the end of the meditation, for some unknown reason, I don't know why it's written in that book, and this is probably the part they reference turning people insane. It said, 
And along the lines of, and it's been so long since I've seen the book, um, I open my heart to you, Lord Jesus Christ, my Saviour. Right at the end of the book. Last thing written. And as I said that, like, kapow, bang, the Holy Spirit just into my life. And my head, no kidding, it was such an intense experience. It felt like my head opened up and this energy just came in, like flooding into my, into my head. And it was this experience that, in a sense, I've been searching for for years in the, through the New Age and everything. I never had anything except really spooky things happen. I won't talk about them right now. And then I got up after about 10, 15 minutes of experiencing that, my body vibrating. Who knows that vibration I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit's upon you and your body's filled with electricity. And I stood up and I go, who is Jesus Christ? Because I had no concept. Um, my parents never told me about Jesus Christ and I didn't even know that Easter was about it. I thought it was about chocolate eggs. And I thought Christmas was just the best time of the year. <laughs> and I didn't know anything to do. I believe you knew my parents, my mum and dad, yeah. And uh, pray for them, please. Um, so yeah, just an uh, incredible encounter. So after that, I went to the library and I looked up on the shelf and there was my Bible, this one here. <laughs> you want to see the library codes there and I never returned it, but as you can tell. Yeah, I paid for it. 120 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> The fines and the overdue fines. <laughs> every every month I'd ring and say, can I re-extend the book Bible, please? Or every two months, whatever it was. And they'd say, um, yes, no worries, sir, and extend it. And then, like, I think two years, yeah. two and a half years went by. It was my monthly or bi-monthly time to extend the loan. Can I um, extend the loan on this Bible, please, on my book? And they said, uh, sorry, sir, you've had this for two years now. You can't re-extend the loan. I said, well, I'm not returning it. They said, sorry, by law, you must return it. I said, I can't. They said, why can't you? I've defaced it. <laughs> it's, like, look at it. It's full of uh, highlights and, highlighting and, and, you know, I defaced it. They said, well, you've got to return it. I said, I can't. I'm sorry, no. Send me the bill. Yeah. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> 120 bucks. It was a big hit. Were we together at that time? Yeah, it's like when you don't have much money, man, Rob, you could have bought 12 Bibles for that. <laughs> and I'm going, no, but it's a good one. <laughs> Had to keep that, huh? Cheap <laughs> bargain basement. But you know, when I saw this up on the shelf, I, I still, it was strange, I didn't equate that, um, that the Bible had anything to do with Jesus. It was just all guidance by the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, that prevenient grace that God just led me along this path. And, and I'm looking at the shelf and I'm looking at all these books that because I'd read all, nearly every single spiritual book in, the, in that section of my library that I was going to, the Burnside Library. And then I look up and I um, see the Bible and the thought was, this book has caused more controversy, more, there's more wars been fought over and that's my line of thinking than anything, any other book here in this library. And I got to read it. So I pull it down and went home and I had about 10 books that day. And it's funny, the Bible sat on the bottom of those 10 books. And I sort of scanned, read all the others, and then I got to the Bible. And I opened it, started reading. And I couldn't put it down. I couldn't put it down. It just blew my mind. It's like, whoa, this is the power. This is the book. This is the book I can rest my hope on. Amen? This is the book.
that can guarantee eternal life if you believe what's in it and live according to it. Amen? And uh, so I followed, followed through with that in six weeks. I think it was six to eight weeks I read the whole Bible. And then I had some Jehovah's Witnesses knock on the door. And I had no idea. Because I, I wasn't saved in a church, so I had no idea about church life or anything. And uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on the door. I said, hello. And they said, yes, we're here to bring the good news. And I said, are you Christian? They go, yeah, we're Christians. I'm Christian. Great, come in. <laughs> and they came every week for about, I think about three to six months. They'd come in and they'd sit with me and they'd get their little books out. So I had first-hand experience of a cult. <laughs> you thought I was getting pulled away from him in this. I became this crazy Jehovah's Witness. No, I didn't. I didn't. I was a really, really bad student in their eyes because I questioned. I questioned the teaching. So we'd read their book. They've got their little books and they've got full of nice coloured pictures so they're great for kids to read. Not adults. So I was thinking, I see a little lion there and, you know... Lambs running around and they're like, I just want to read words. I don't need the patience. It doesn't help an adult. It's good for kids. And uh, so I'm reading the book and it says, it'll blurb on about some sort of doctrinal thing. And then it'll say, see, see John 13.6 or something. So you go to John 13.6 and you read that and then you go back to their book and continue reading. And I would stop them. I'd say, hold on. No. I've read that whole chapter of John 13. You can't just pull that one out and stick it in there. It doesn't actually... Uh, what it, that's saying is not what this is saying. I said, let's go back to the Bible. Let's get to John 13 and open it up. And, have a look. and they go, oh, no, 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 no. We don't do that. Put that away. Yeah, no, no. The Bible is a reference book. It's better to read these books than read the Bible as it is because it, it's too hard to understand. And I said... Too late. I've already read it. <laughs> and they're looking at me, you already read it? I said, well, haven't you? They go, no. They've never read any of it. They only read these little sections that sort of suit their, their thing, you know, for their doctrine. Their translations. Yeah. So right at the end, and I, I persevered with them, because now I was trying to evangelise them. And I persevered with them, and right after about six months, they came in one day, and this is where... You know, push came to shove and I got a bit upset because they started judging Adam. They said, now, Adam was the first man to sin. Should he be uh, welcome into eternal life or not? And I said, absolutely. And they go, how could you say that? I said, because, you know, any man in his situation would have done what he did, I believe. Yeah, he was the first man, he was the perfect man and he fell. And Eve was the perfect woman and she fell. And any man or woman in the same position, I believe, would have probably done the same thing because they, he, he was the father of all of us and, and he spoke for us in a sense. So we can't condemn him because he was perfect. And then he fell. Right? So we don't, and that's in a sense why Jesus came. So they've condemned him because they don't also acknowledge that Jesus Christ died for the sins of men. Um, and all the whole the doctrines that hold, uh, of salvation that we hold so firmly to. So after that, I just said, "All right, that's it." Bible study closed. I can't go any further with you guys. And then he started to say, "That's the light that led the wise men to Jesus. That light was the light of Satan." I go, "All right, then, let's <laughs> <you> go." <laughs> Don't want to hear any more of this. Yeah. So anyway, but my point is this: because I had read the Bible, I couldn't get deceived. 
Amen? Yes. Yeah. Know the Word of God. And no one can pull the wool over your eyes. But they'll try. And, you know, you might get the wool pulled over your eyes for a little bit. And then God will go, hang on, do you remember this verse? And then you read the verse, ah, uh, no. Nah. You know, it says it's possible that the elect be deceived. If it were possible. What they're saying is, they'll probably get taken in a little bit. And then, you know, the Antichrist will come on the stage. He'll appear in the world one day. And maybe we might think he's a good guy. Maybe we could get taken away by his rhetoric. But then we will start seeing things because we know the word. And then we'll come back to our senses. Amen. Amen. And that's when God will start speaking to us. So how important is the Word of God? Very important. It's important that we know it. It's important that we know our apologetics. It's important that we know how to defend the faith. It's important that we speak to people. It's important that we... The doctrine, have our doctrine straight. You know? Imagine living 50 years as a Christian and stuffing up the doctrine of salvation. You know? 50 years as a Christian and you get the doctrine of salvation wrong. Sad, sad state of affairs, amen? Yeah. Alright, so thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time and this opportunity to preach to these wonderful people. I thank you, Lord, that you um, have uh, just given us a, a wealth of information today and I just pray that uh, um, everything that I've said today will have benefited all those here and that uh, would have bolstered their faith and, and hopefully put some passion in their hearts to... Uh, just to go further and, and to learn more about what they believe so that we can be of benefit to the, uh, those lost in this world at, at the moment, Lord. And Lord, all of us deep down know that the reason we became Christian was to disciple the nations, the Great Commission. And Lord, help us to become disciples. Help us to become a people that can uh, reach, reach others in a way that... Um, uh, will just touch people's lives in, in wonderful ways. Help us and give us the words of wisdom so that uh, those uh, people that we reach out to won't be able to resist or contradict the things that we say, but they'll uh, receive it with open arms. And so, Lord, help us all to find uh, divine appointments or have divine appointments with people so that we can um, speak into their life and speak into their hearts and, and help them to see that you are indeed God and that, uh, that you exist, and that we're accountable to you, and that you've provided salvation for us when you laid your life down on that cross for us. So thank you, Lord, for every last thing that you've done for us and you continue to do for us each and every day. Just bless us all now as we uh, have some fellowship time together and, and uh, may your spirit be with us and move in us in wonderful ways in the coming uh, weeks and months, Lord, as this church just continues to grow and continues to uh a step forward in the things that you'd have us do. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.